lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Father, thank you for what you have shown me in this this amazing verse. And Father, I pray that our hearts are set now to hear from you. That Father, uh, it will only be by your mercy, by your grace, by your power that I can share anything from this. And yet, Father, I beg you now to open our eyes that we may see. To your praise and your glory. In Christ's name, amen. We live in a country that prides itself on freedom. Okay, And yet in our country, in that freedom, we have rules and regulations. Um, we have a, a lot of bantering around of freedom of speech, freedom of speech. There's a lot of stuff going through the FCC right now on certain words that have never been said on television or radio, but we believe now that we can say these things. Um, and I, that's not really the issue that I wanted to deal with. We do not have freedom of speech. Okay, if you do not believe me, I would challenge you to go see a movie that you do not like, okay, preferably, and in the middle of it, jump up and yell, fire. And you will find out very quickly, you do not have freedom of speech. Okay? Uh, and uh, there are a lot of other cases, and that's not the reason. But I want you to understand something. When you talk about freedom, how often do we take freedom and we set it over here and we define it? And that's what I've been dealing with. Okay? Uh, I've got six things here on what freedom is. To a Christian, I have freedom that is in Christ. I have freedom of sonship. I have freedom to choose. I have freedom to self-discipline. I have freedoms of limits, and I have freedom of who's watching. And that's what is all in this text. And this is the uh, third message in this text. And everybody thought that I had picked up speed. We were making great progress through the Book of Corinthians, and then I hit verse twelve. Right, Because the Apostle Paul stated earlier in this book that we have a stewardship. We have been given something by a master, by an owner, and it is the mysteries of God. And in that, we are to take care of this mystery and we are to um, be good stewards of it. We've been given a task to do. But he also made this statement that we are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what that means is, is that we are lower level gal- We had nothing to bring to the table. We were not, uh, you hire people today in our society based on their abilities and talents. What do they have the ability to do? And can their ability or talent uh, meet the need that I have in this job position? In slavery, you didn't do that. Okay, slavery, you might have a talent, and at some point that talent become used for something. But for the most part, if you were a conquered people, you were put wherever they wanted you, and it's usually done in menial things, rowing the boat. Okay, because rowing the boat is not a difficult task. Uh, and, and so uh, if you had some other abilities, you might be used for different than that. But the Apostle Paul understood that as a slave of Christ... A slave doesn't tell his master what he's doing. This is what I will do for you. That is part of one of the heartache that I saw with Pastor An and Kay. The church literally came and said, this is what we will do. 
And this is, that would be a body of believers who probably do not understand the deeper things of God. God does not care what you will do for him. He will build his church. And you can either be a part of it or you can stand and watch. All right, because we looked last week at, at the sonship, what we have as sons and daughters of the Lord Jesus Christ. I see in this fellowship come out of John's gospel, the 15th chapter. Some of you are slaves to the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you are friends to the Lord Jesus Christ. What is the difference? Jesus told us. A slave knows not what his master wants. Knows not what his master demands. But a friend does. A friend of Jesus Christ knows what Jesus is about. What he is doing. Okay, all by the Spirit, I believe, is what we have heard. All right, and you know, and then you, I think, and I read uh, a lot of people like to banter stuff at me. And I, Augustine is often quoted, okay, uh, in the matters of non-essential charity. Okay, uh, and and I watch people say, well, is that essential? Is that non-essential? Uh, I see people who are friends of Jesus Christ live in the absolute freedom that the Lord Jesus Christ gives them, and people accuse them of being legalist. <laughs> and that's, uh, I find that amusing. Uh, and matters of non-essentials would be food, drink, holy days, circumcision, so on and so forth. And I see today, as it did at the time of the writing of this letter, is a stumbling block for Christians, Christians stumble in non-essentials. Uh, some Christians stumble in essentials. But um, I can always go back a lot of times to Paul in Galatians chapter 4 where he said, what you have begun in the spirit, you are now perfecting in the flesh. When you see a slave to the Lord Jesus Christ, what they are doing are the things that Christ has asked them to do in their own energy. And they're very frustrated people. Uh, they're very uh, uh, downtrodden. They seem overwhelmed at the least things. They, uh, um, we have clinical things for it now that we've, we've created our own little issues with it that, uh, you know, this is, I'm just overly whelmed with this, or I'm depressed, or I have anxieties, or I have this, or I have that. You know what? There are definitely medical causes for some of that. Most of it is self-inflicted. Okay. And the reason is, uh, we claim that we are children of God. Let me ask you a question. Now, I don't want nobody to raise your hands or anything. Okay, because this, I, you know, I just really don't want this. This is not confessional. Okay, I have to ask you, how many of you spend more than two hours a week in the scripture? A week. In the scripture. Just, and I don't want nobody to raise your hands. I just, I just want you to think about it. Two hours out of a full week. Okay? Now, and I don't want to talk about the hour I do. I'm talking about your time. So I guess you would be looking at, if you're faithful to this church on Sunday morning, three hours a week. Okay? You know what's scary about it? Most of your lives, I can tell how much time you spend in the scriptures. 
Okay. Let me ask you a question. Some of you, uh, we've got some single people here. We've got some married people here. We've got newlyweds. We've got, uh, what? if you got a newlywed, what is an oldie wed? <laughs> Probably the only question they'll hear me ask this day, isn't it? Yeah. Um, when you are in the process, or perhaps you're in the process, of becoming attached to someone, now, that don't sound right, does it? You know what I mean. I, I have a, a relationship with someone. Why did you have that relationship with somebody? What drew you to that person? Any, any reasons? They were tall, they were dark, they were handsome. You know, nobody got that one. All right, so we had short, wide, and what? <laughs> and ugly. Because <laughs> I knew ugly wouldn't run off. No, um, what, what drew you to that person? Okay, ask yourself these questions. Why, would I, why was I interested? What is the interaction between husband and wife? What is the interaction between uh, boyfriend and girlfriend, male and female, or male and male? What, what causes that to happen? Why, why do we have certain people I can say are friends, this person I'm not as friendly with because of what reason? Okay, then I will take that very premise. Uh, I, let, me, let me use my kids. I've got two kids sitting on the front row. Uh, I share one, uh, but the other one is all mine. Um, they like same things. Radio-controlled cars. They like skateboarding. They like stuff like that. And so they have these like-mindedness, so they become buddies. They go to school together. They see each other in school, so they spend time with each other. Interesting, isn't it? They became friends. Okay. Where's your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? How much do you know about him? If you spend three hours a week with the Lord Jesus Christ, how well do you know him? How well do you understand your freedoms in Christ? How well do you understand your responsibility in Christ? How well do you make decisions based on your understanding of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Interesting, isn't it? Did you know, I went back through church history, I asked some very prominent teachers at times, where did denominations come from? Because I can only find a minimal s statements about them in Scripture. Pharisees, Sadducees, uh, Zealots, um, and ain't any of those three really what I would say, hey, I want to be a part of the First Baptist Church of the Pharisees or uh, anything to that effect. So where did denominations come from? What you'll find is non-essentials is where it came from. The big push in Colorado right now is non-denominationalism. Okay? And do you know why? I do. It's purely selfish. I don't want to be associated with anything. Why? Because then I'm not accountable. I can come and go. All right? Things that Scripture um, may not address. I see some churches meet on Sunday, not very, or Saturday. I see, you know, um, you know, what is the mandate for Sunday? I've heard people preach it. And yet you can't prove a mandate for Sunday. When should the church meet? You know what a better question is? When shouldn't it? 
Okay, can you tell me a day that the church shouldn't meet? Isn't that easier? There are things that happen in our lives uh, that are based on 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. For since the wisdom of God through the, the world, the, through its wisdom, did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. It says that man at his greatest pinnacle of understanding can't find God with a road map. Right? So God had to reveal himself. How does he do it? Well, he does it through his word. He does it through uh, his spirit, the spirit of the living God uh, moving in people's hearts. The Holy Spirit takes up residence. Romans chapter 8 says in a Christian... And that place is the place of that Christian's conscience. Okay, that's that place that uh, you guard. Every person in here has a conscience, and every person in here has their conscience very well guarded. Because out of that is where thoughts come from, uh, intuitions come from, all the stuff that makes you you. Some of it is manifest, some of it is guarded. There's things in there in your conscience that you would not share with anybody, even if your wife, husband, children. Why? Because it may be something that you don't want to share. It may be something painful that you carry. But in that very same place is the spirit of the living God. And let me explain something about him. He's all there. Every ounce of him is there. You, I see people take Ephesians and say you'd be filled with the spirit. And it's sort of like you have to go to like the Holy Spirit gas station. You know, I'm about a quarter tank of Holy Spirit left, I need to go fill up. Let me tell you something. When he takes up residency in you, you have God in you, all of him. And that's why I see some people have what I call tormented consciences. But tormented consciences aside, if you would look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 26, last letter the Apostle Paul ever wrote, Chapter 2, verses 24 through 26, is the Lord's bondservant. We looked at bondservant. That is the guy with the pierced ear. That says that the master that I have, I willingly stay with it because of my love and my relationship with him. And that's what I'm dealing with this day. Our freedom to choose. Okay? The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome. Did you get that? Do you know why the Lord's bondservant shouldn't be quarrelsome? Because I cannot change any one of your hearts unless the person of the Holy Spirit does it. I have no ability. I can teach you truth and all you have to do is tell me I don't know what I'm talking about. Or that's your interpretation. Or that ain't what I've been taught. Or I don't want to believe that. And you know what? I can't make you believe that. I learned a long time ago, I am not going to mess with an individual's conscience. Okay, if that's where they want to stay, I'll let them stay there. You know what? They can stay there until Jesus comes. Okay, but look what it says here. Be kind to, mm, able to teach, patient when wronged, okay? With gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. Why? See, if you're trying to correct a person and you're not doing it with gentleness, the person will refuse repentance that is granted by the Lord God. They'll refuse it. Why? Because you just put up the stumbling block. It goes back to the simplicity that I can't change any of you. 
Who was I sharing this with? I can't remember who I was sharing it with, but it seems like it was just this week. The job that I have right now is the most annoying thing I've ever done in my life. I have absolutely no ability to change anybody. Not only that, I can only pick the people to work with me that God gives me, and I can only use whatever time they're willing to grant me. And yet, i got to give an account. How do you do that? And I mean, I, and I'll be honest with you. I have never in my life, all the things I've ever done, I've been a contractor, I've been an electrician, I've, I've worked on aircraft, I've done military contracts, I've done other things that were not legal, I've done all these things, and I have never ever done anything that is more discouraging than the job I do right now. Because you can take one little sheep and it's kind of struggling and you sit there and you get it and you pet it and you get it all squared away and it looks at you and in big old sheep eyes, you know, sheep eyes, and it just looked there and it's all fuzzy and, it, and you get it calmed down and it ain't anxious anymore and you get it and it's all, and you're ready and you trust and it's growing and you turn around and the rest of them have left. <laughs> and so you find yourself out there, come, come back here, come back here, come back here, and then you turn around and that one's left. And so you go back over here, and people said, would you ever have any of your kids? No! I would never have any of my children do what I do for a living. But if God's called you, don't kick against the goad. And yet I have a freedom. I can choose to do something else. But what would my conscience say? And then if that isn't enough to bother you, what would the Holy Spirit say? He's just yelling and scream. If I'm dealing with a person and they are absolutely against me, they don't see what I'm saying, they don't understand what I'm saying, their conscience is absolutely against what I'm saying, then I have but one recourse. I pray for them. I pray for them. And I usually start my prayers like this. If I run into a conflict like this, Lord, if I'm wrong, show me. Lord, if they're wrong, show them. And we don't have to do this great, well, I'm sorry thing. It's just let us follow what the king is saying. I'll never go against a person's conscience. Okay? But it won't stop me from praying for them. All right? See, choices that do not involve uh, our or others' eternal salvation, I leave it up to the people. Okay. I've had people ask me this question. Do you believe that you need to be in church every time the doors are open to be spiritual? What is my response to that? No. Absolutely not. Uh-uh. No. But what I have found is those who are committed to the exposition of Scripture on a regular basis are being used by the King. And I don't have any problems with them. I don't have to sit over here and Scratch your ears and things. Why? Because they understand where the power source is from. They understand where the security is from. They understand that the end of the trail is the king in his presence. And I don't have to worry about those people. Okay? And so I give this response. Are you secure enough in your understanding of exactly what Jesus Christ wants on a daily basis for you that you don't need to be around Christians? Just ask you that question. Okay?
In making our choices in this freedom, I will tell you this. They will not involve your eternal salvation. Do you understand what I'm saying? Lot made some choices. In and of themselves, they were not bad. But he did put himself in a position of compromise. Okay, And he put him in a place where the culture was what mandated him. All right, to the point that he became an elder, a leader, a ruler in the city of Sodom. Okay, the effects of that were what? The death of his wife and incest with his daughters. And yet Second Peter told us that God was able to rescue him from such a place, didn't he? So he was still righteous, he was still saved, but how would you like to be remembered for all eternity for that? Okay, so later in this book you will find that um, people will corrupt good morals. Okay, and I have yet to see it not fail. That's that's a, a truism that I've seen all the time. But let me show you something else. There is a possibility that in this choice, okay, this decision that I make, it will affect, hear what I'm saying now, your eternal reward. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20. In a large house. Now you need to understand what Paul is doing. He is basically explaining this as his last letter to his, uh, his disciple Timothy. And he's saying these are the, the, the problems with discipleship. You will go forth and you will give men, faithful men, what I've given you. But you're going to run into the fact that there are unfaithful men. Not only that, there are people who will want to heap to themselves false teachers. And it's just basically all of the, 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 the trials and tribulations and blessings that will appear in the great commission of making disciples look what he says in a large house all right that would be speaking of the body of christ and let's be realistic the body of christ is huge all right in a large house there's not only gold and silver vessels but there are also vessels of wood of earthenware and some of honor some of dishonor okay do you see the picture? In your house, you have some nice, chi- well, maybe you do, some nice silverware, nice china, some nice dishes, then you have some other stuff that are everyday stuff. That's basically what he's saying. What the Apostle Paul is saying is that in the body of Christ, there are vessels of honor and there are vessels of dishonor. There are vessels that are still in the house. They are still in the possession of the house, but they are of no honor. They have no value. Okay? He says, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, that would be all that stuff up in the beginning, uh, empty chatter, a worldliness, wrangling over words, uh, not accurately handling the word of truth. Um, uh, Some people say the resurrection has already taken place. Um, And how firm is that foundation that God stands and seals those God knows whose are his. All right. But he also see that there is an abstain from wickedness. All right. But look what he says. He says, if I cleanse myself from these things, I will be, he will be a vessel of honor. Holy. Holy. Useful to the master prepared for every good work. Who's the master? 
Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? A vessel of honor, holy. How does a person become holy? If I wanted to become holy, okay, I know, and I've taught this, and you guys know where I stand on this, you are holy. It's already happened. Problem is, you don't know it. So how would you know that you were holy? Just wake up, look in the mirror, and have like a little glow thing going? How do you know you're holy? Can you know you're holy? Has he sent something up there just to frustrate the stew out of us because he said, you know what, there is absolutely no way you're ever going to achieve holiness, so you're just going to work yourself, you know, work your fingers to the bones, you're going to end up with bony fingers and no holy. Is that what God does? How do I know I'm holy? Anybody know? Sanctify them with truth. Your word is truth. How holy are you if you got three hours a week? Well, I got to be honest with you, you're a lot holier than lost people. Okay? But let me ask you a question. When it comes to making everyday choices, what will you base your choices on? Ooh. Ooh. I want to work for the king in such a way that it is only good work. That's all. I just want good work. Why? I want to be a, a vessel of honor. You know what? I don't even care if I don't make gold. I'll handle silver. You know what? I'm, I'll even go with wood. Just allow me to do a good work for my master. Why? Why? Why would you want to do that? We're under grace. I've been saved. Because he is the overwhelming love of my life. More so than my wife. More so than my children. More so than anything in this building. Anything I've ever experienced in my entire life. I have a love for Jesus Christ. You know what? I'm in need of help. Because what I have found is his love is consuming me. I find myself either want to be completely enthralled in the things of Jesus Christ or sleep. So I can rest and get up and be enthralled in the things of Jesus Christ again. You know what's weird about that? That ain't me. I want to take you back one more text. Let's go back to uh, Corinthians. Yeah, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verses 12 and 15. We've looked at this. I want to look at it again. In the, in the house of God, there are gold, silver, wood, earthen vessels. There are in the house of God vessels of honor, vessels of dishonor. He's already told the church in Corinth, 
These things. Verse 12. If any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, or stubble, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed by fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If a man's work, if any man's work which he has built on remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. He's telling us that as we labor for the king, and I want to use the word labor because it's work. It's work. And there's nothing wrong with work. Uh, more of us ought to try it. But it's, it's, it's something that we do. And ask yourself, in the quality of stuff that I give unto the king, am I giving him gold, silver, and precious stone? Or am I building with wood, hay, and straw? Okay, now I'm asking you. Okay, because see, this is your conscience. It's not mine. And I'm going to deal with this as this message. You'll see this. This is an amazing thing. All right, what are you building with? All right, well, if I am going to be used by the master for every good work, what must I have first? I must be holy or you will not be used why if you look like the world what can you give the world nothing not only that you have a great awesome possibility of actually shaming your master that's why when you're dealing with the things of God, if it seems like a good, simple pattern for you to do it, it's probably not his. Why? Who gets the credit? The abilities that I have had and the things that God has allowed me to do are staggering to me. And I know for a fact that none of them is my abilities or my scheming or my planning. I don't have any ability to do with this stuff. So when you look at this and he says, are you working for your master? What are you using? Are you using leftovers or are you using your best? All right. Now I want you to go back to your text. Okay. Because I am dealing with this text. All things are lawful for me. That's all we're going to get. Okay. Me in that word is moi. It's a dative singular of the word ego. Feel good yet? Okay, ego is always translated I, personal pronoun, E, Epsilon, Gamma, Omega. All right? Moi is dative singular. Paul is speaking of himself individually, and yet he encompasses every Christian. Why? Every single Christian ever born or should ever be born must make his or her own choices. And you have an enormous freedom to make those choices. Paul is speaking of himself. We are free in Christ, he's saying. And listen, listen, if you take this right now and you look at it and you think about an infant, how scary is that text? Take an infant. Um, Brandon, Stacy, in here. Ashley. Okay? Ashley. You are allowed Ashley... To do anything you want, anytime you want, however you want, as often as you want, any way you want, go. What would you have? 
<laughs> Very old, Stacy and Brandon. <laughs> okay. What would you have? I don't know. Demon on the loose? I don't know what you call it. Why don't you do that with an infant? Why can't you? Remember that video? Some of you were watching that video we're watching on Sunday nights. You can't give a child anything they want. You have to tell them, here's the boundaries, and you eat a good breakfast. And he walks up, he's got these two little kids eating at a kitchen table, and they have these little nice with green and yellow vegetables and some kind of, ugh, okay? And the kids push it away, so mom comes out and has them a bowl and pours a bag of M&Ms in them. And the kids are going, yeah, 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 okay? I see some Christians who like to do that, okay? Um, we have a freedom... But we also have guidelines. That's why he said, when you are holy, you are ready to be used for every good work. Um, uh, We need to pay attention to this. All right. Um, Let me share with you, because I I really wish you, you understood this. Some of you understood this. I can do all things in Christ. All things. I am free to do anything in Christ. Anything. And yet in that freedom, we have a responsibility. It is overwhelming. I see new Christians and I get fearful when I take an infant in Christ and say, you don't understand, you are no longer bound to this world. This world has no dominion over me anymore. The ways of this world, the purposes of this world, the plans of this world have no effect on me. None. Zilch. I don't care if we're at an elevated terrorist alert or a red. I don't care. It has no effect on me. But let me explain something. You have the ability, the freedom to choose, but God sets the consequences of the choice. Did you get that? God sets the consequences of the choice. The word, you see there, all things are lawful. Esteem. Lawful. Esteem. Uh, it's uh, derived from esteem, a uh, preposition. Um, and it means that it is, it is lawful, it is possible, right, uh, it is permitted or within my power. The Greek language calls this an excusia. Great, huh? It means there is a freedom within the boundaries. Excusia was what the Greek culture existed under the Roman rule. Within the boundaries of paying your taxes to Rome and doing what the Romans do, you have absolute freedom to do anything you want. Let me give it to you in a spiritual perspective. I need you to turn to the Gospel of Matthew. Some of you remember this. We taught Matthew. It's been some time ago. Okay, chapter 20 of the Gospel of Matthew, the first 16 verses. And just get there and go through it, but I'll kind of highlight this thing as we go through. I have a freedom in Christ. I want to show you how this term works, okay? It begins there, the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Verse 2 says, when he had agreed with the laborers to a denarius for the day, he sent them to the vineyard. Okay, a landowner is out getting day labor. And denarii was the average, what most men made for the day. They agreed to this. It was a hired group uh, for a specific time for a specific wage. 
They set a contract. We call this today contract labor or subcontract labor or something to this effect. Okay? But if you read on about the third hour, and you see there uh, the sixth, the ninth hour, basically at 9 o'clock in the morning, at noon, at 3 p.m., and at 5 p.m., 6 being quitting time, he hired some more. But I want you to note something in the hiring of more. Verse 4. You also, when he came out about the third hour, that'd be nine o'clock, he saw that others were standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to those, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, I will give you. And so they went. Why? These people have to have a job. I have to have some bread money for the day. I have expenses. I have food I have to take care of. I need to provide for my family. He says, all right, it's, it's about 9 o'clock in the morning. Uh, it's about noon. You need to work. I need work done. You have a need. I have a need. You can fulfill my need. We're not going to negotiate anything. Just go, and I will give you what is right. Let me ask you a question. Have you been so sanctified on the Word of God that regardless of what He calls you to do right now, you know He's absolutely just in whatever reward He gives you? Just a cool question, isn't it? Regardless of the choices I make, He chooses the consequence of that choice. That's why I say if you're spending three hours a week and you wonder why you're having some bummer consequences? Hello, is the light on yet? You see that? And guess what? He's absolutely just. And whatever reward he chooses to give. Remember what he told the Corinthians already? Are you building with gold, silver, precious stone, or wood, hay, stubble? All building, aren't they? And you can build some cool stuff with wood. What happens when the fire comes? Let me tell you something. In this life, you are guaranteed tribulation. You know what another idea for tribulation is? Fire. How do you stand? How do you stand? When the heat comes on, the pressure of this world, of circumstances, of individuals, of things that have done, of bad choices, how do you stand? And yet God is absolutely just in what he's doing. Okay? Those he hired in the first group, um, he prom- he, after the first group, I mean, he did not promise a specific reward. He just said, I will give you what is just. These men said, I have a need, which all of you were sinners. You had a need. And in meeting that need, he says, I will reward to you that which is just. What is justice for a saint? Eternal salvation. Eternal salvation. But you know what else there is? There are eternal rewards. It's amazing in this text because when it comes pay time, you pay on day labor, you pay him that day. He starts with those who've only worked for an hour. They got there at five, we're done at six. Well, that makes sense though, really? Because they're not going to cost you as much, so you pay them first. What does he pay them? Day's wage. One denarii. One denarii. And he takes the next group who've been working uh, just three hours. How what's he give him? A dinar, a day's wage. Look what happens. Sounds like a market. Huh? Look what happened. 
Even he came the owner of the vineyard, verse 8, and said, Foreman, call the laborers, I want to pay him. Eleventh hour, he gives him a denari, denari, denari. All right. Um, <clears throat> but each received the denari. In verse 11, he says, and when they received it, they grumbled at the landowner. They grumbled. Why did they grumble? Saying, these last men worked only one hour. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day. Union contract work right there, buddy. <laughs> Not only that, we're suing. All right. But here's <laughs> look at what he says. He answered to one of them and said, friend, am I doing you no wrong? Did you not agree with me for a denarii? Did you not agree for this much time for this much pay? Take what is yours and go. But I wish to give to this last man the same as you. What does he say next? Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? So the last shall be first and the first shall be last. All right, that's the kingdom of heaven. And that doesn't mean that when you go down for the luncheon today that you have to sit to the back and wait because you're going to eat first in heaven. All right, that ain't, that ain't what that means. Uh, it means if you're the first or last and last or first, what does that mean? We're all equal. Pure communism. <laughs> We're all equal. We're all heirs to the king. We are all sons and daughters of the king. We can all be friends of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you have to understand that regardless where you're at in the Lord's vineyard, he is just in whatever reward he gives you. And what you will find is his reward will be the same for all. I see people who look and they say like Billy Graham or John MacArthur or, or Charles Spurgeon, they're going to say that they're going to have these great massive rewards because they did this and this and this. You know what? I'm thinking that there's going to be some little grandma who no one has ever heard of and all she ever did was pray her brains out for the saints of God. And she's going to have this high and exalted place and we're all going to be standing, who's that? And we're all be going, some of you are going to grumble. That don't sound fair. All right, and then you'll have to face him in the eye, and I'll say, sounds fair to me. <laughs> all right? Because they agreed to it. They agreed to it. But listen, he had the choice. But who, got, who gets the consequences for the choice? Is it not permissible? Is it not lawful for me? as the employer, to give the consequences. He's saying you accepted having the promise of a certain reward for a certain task. The rest had no promise of any exact pay. But my sense of justice was their only promise. Now, let me ask you a question right now. Okay, because this is good. I mean, this stuff here, this is... All right? One of them uh, blooming onions at uh, that restaurant, Outback. Okay? Is he just in what he gives? 
some of you are saying yeah, and some of you are saying, I'm supposed to say yes, so I'm going to say yeah, and some of you are saying, I ain't saying nothing. Okay? Why? I, he's, he might be just, but it's my conscience. He told me it's my conscience. I'm going to let my conscience and him wrestle. Okay, let me ask you a question. In what you're at right now in your life, is he just? Do you feel like you do more or do you feel like you do less? Ask yourself right now. Where your conscience is right now, what you're doing right now, where your position is right now, is he just? Absolutely. Absolutely. My sense of justice was the only promise these late workers got. And yet, they understood their need and they understood my me as an employer, as a master, and they understood that I was a just master, and they said, so be it, master. You know what? That's exactly the choices you and I make. Exactly. Everything we do. Whether it be we make decisions on money, whether we make decisions on jobs, on houses, on cars, on movies that we see or we don't see, on things that we wear or we don't wear, what we invest in, what we don't invest in, what time we put here, what time we put there, how we divide up anything or whatever we do, we base those choices on what? And then ask yourself a question. On the decisions you have made, has he been just in the consequences of the decisions you've made? I love it. There is a certainty in the justice of our king. Listen, I I want to show you something about my brother Paul, our brother Paul. Paul preferred... Not to choose what was immediately rewarding or convenient. Just go through anything Paul did and you will find out that the Apostle Paul never took convenience. Ever did he take convenience. Um, And he, he even was, we would say, at times put himself into less comfortable positions. Okay, He was even willing to suffer and die if necessary for the cause of Christ. Those were his choices. He made those choices. And yet, he defends his right. What's this? What's this what happened? Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Somebody stole Corinthians on my Bible. There it is. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. Okay? See, we're not, we're not really going to get away from this text until uh, after we finish 2 Corinthians, actually. Um, I, am I not free? Okay. Look what else he says. Am I not an apostle? How about this one? Have I not seen Jesus, our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? That's some powerful stuff right there now. I haven't had fun when I get to that text. Okay? See, the office of apostle had to be called by the resurrected Christ. 
He had that. Okay? And he can look at the church in Corinth and say, are you not my fruit? Can you deny what God has done through me unto you? That's what he's saying. If to others I am not an apostle, at least to you I am to you. For you are a seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we not have a right to eat and drink? Do we not have a right to take on a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers in the Lord and Cephas? Or do only Barnabas and I not have the right to refrain from working? Okay. Now, if you look at the Apostle Paul's ministry, what he's defending here, he's saying, you know what? I came and I labored with you people, and I never even took a dime from you. There was no love offering. There was no honorarium. Why? Because I worked. And if you look at Paul's ministries, when he ministered in Greek culture, he never worked. Or he never took money from the church. He always worked. He had a second job. Okay? Bivocational. Why? Because there's a, a lot of dynamics in the Greek culture. Greek culture looked at physical work as menial uh, and only done by slaves, and it was for lower class people. The Apostle Paul, if you read the church in Thessalonica, he three times told them that you lazy people need to work. And the third time he says, I don't even want you to associate with lazy people. Why? Because there's a mindset that says, you know what, work, that's for lazy people. You're an intellectual, Paul. You don't work. Um, Elizabeth shared with me one time, and I hadn't heard it in years and years and years, but I'd heard it from east of the Mississippi, and they had a thing that they call pastor's hands. You know what pastor's hands are? They're real soft. Okay? They're little baby hands. Okay? And then, now listen, there's nothing wrong with having baby hands. I don't. Okay? Why? Well, hardworking people would look at pastor's hands and say, you're not a hard-working person. And I can look at some other pastors and, and look at their physiques and say, you don't sweat. <laughs> I guess I shouldn't even cross that one. I'll leave that one there. Okay, but anyway, but here's what happened. The Apostle Paul said, this culture that I'm in, I know that I need to work. Why? I want to show you people that working is not only God-glorifying, it is mandated by God, and it is actually a form of exalting God, and it is only the Christians who can bring to physical labor the genuine dignity that is demanded of it. Same thing with the marriage. Same thing with marriage. It is only Christians who can bring the dignity and the exaltation that marriage is. Okay? So he was willing to suffer, and he defends the right, however, of those who receive a salary. He walked the extra mile. Look at verse 18 of that text. What then is my reward? That when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel all right so what he's saying is i have made a decision here i have chosen to go from home to home in the city of corinth thessalonica you see it in berea you see it in philippi anytime you see the greek culture you see the apostle paul refuses money except for the time he's taking money i'm gonna take it to the people who are starving in jerusalem all right but up until that time i have a perfect right right now that I choose not to take any of your money. Why? I'm going to set a precedence for you. It's not that this is a mandate. This is a non-essential. Non-essential. Okay? But you can't take a non-essential and mandate it. 
You can't say um, the, the Catholic priests take what they call a, a vow of poverty. I wish I had that vow of poverty. Okay, basically, they don't need anything. Everything else is made for them. And they don't need health insurance. They don't need life insurance. They need to, they've even got lawyer insurance now. But uh, just kidding. All right. But, uh, um, yeah, you need lawyer insurance. But anyway, um, but what they've done is they've taken some of the writings of Paul and said this. Paul said, I would prefer that you stay single as I am. Okay? Does that mean if you are a preacher that you are to be single? Why did Cephas have a wife? He had to have a wife because Jesus healed his mother-in-law. Okay? Right? You just don't go out and get a mother-in-law. Hmm. Anyway. Um, <laughs> these things that are permissible. Some things I choose not to do, Paul said, telling you and I this day. There's some things that I'm allowed to do. Part of the reason, uh, if you look at our budget time here in our, for us, in our budget time, uh, some of you have, have been a part of it and you've seen it happen. When it comes to the salary package, I leave. I leave. I have no input whatsoever into what my salary is. Okay? I leave it to the discretion of the men and um, if there's women there who are willing to say this is what will happen and then whatever happens, happens. And I know that regardless of what you guys believe, God has always met my needs. Always met my needs. Why? He's just in all things. I still don't have that Corvette, but what can I say? All right, each of us has choices to make. Every person in this room has choices to make. They are personal. And they affect not only individual Christians around you, but they also will affect the work of God in your life. All right, I want to give you a little footnote here and I'll wrap this thing up. Don't make a law out of your personal preferences. Okay? I have freedom, okay, in the boundaries of the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in my life, in my conscience. Okay? And I don't want your conscience mandating to me. Okay? And I don't want, I will not take my conscience and mandate to you. Okay? Um, it is wrong to take the choice which Paul made for himself and apply it to others and make it mandatory obligation. Okay? Being paid for the preaching of the gospel. Okay, um, celibacy. All right, it is permissible. It is lawful. It is expedient. It can be used to change, uh, to, to achieve a useful event. Paul's choice to work without pay cannot be forced on all laborers for the gospel. Okay, let's be realistic. Had I taken Paul's second choice and remained single, I don't need as much money to live, do I? Okay? But I also had another benefit. When I became the pastor of this church, I already owned a home. Okay, And so my housing expense is less than probably anybody's in this room. Because my house is, um, I'm almost done. Alright, so when you look at trying to meet my needs, they're not that difficult. Except for the vet. Okay? Um, 
So to impose these regulations on other people, all that is, is legalism. That's all it is. It's legalism. I see people who try to impose. Well, women have to wear dresses. Show me. Well, it just seems right. To who? To you? Great. Um, Food. Okay, I see people struggle with food. Uh, And I've even run into a few vegetarians. Wonderful people. (laughs) They are. I'm not being facetious. They're just saving more meat for me. (laughs) Um, I want to give you a text to think about. Colossians chapter 2, verse 20. For if we have died with Christ... Okay, now do we understand what that really means? Do you know what died means? It isn't changed the color. Okay? How dead was the Lord Jesus Christ? He was all dead. Okay? You have died with Christ. To what? The elementary teachings of the world. Okay? It's literally the word in the Greek, S-T-O-I-C-H-E-I-O-N, is essential components of life. You have died to the essential components of life. I think uh, uh, King James calls it rudiments. Okay? (laughs) Look what he says here. Why is if, why as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? Okay? Which all refer to things that are destined to perish. All right? You know what the word decrees there? Uh, some of your translations may say ordinances. You know what the word is? You know what the word is in the Greek? It's cool. Dogma. It's where you get dogmatic from. Paul is saying, why do you make your personal choices dogma? Or rules to be followed. Look at verse 21. That's an illustration of it. He says, don't you understand this stuff is just going to disappear? It all perishes. It all perishes. Okay? But he makes a statement. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Because I want you to... I'm hoping that you're grabbing this. I'm having fun with it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 23 through 26. Amazing. Because I told you we're not really going to get away from this for a while. So that's why I'm kind of spending a little more time 12. All right. Uh, 23 through 26. He says this. Hmm. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? (laughs) All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but then he throws this in here. But not all things what? Okay, now the concern that he's dealing with here contextually is food. Food offered to idols. Okay? Yeah, listen, um, did you understand something about food? Food is an amazing thing. It's available for a believer to eat. Did you know that? It's kind of wild, isn't it? And you know what else God made food for a believer besides to eat? Enjoy. Huh? He did that. I want you to enjoy this. Okay? And if somebody has an objection over eating certain foods for certain reasons, he shouldn't insist that others refrain. Uh, Wayne, uh, (laughs) I'll never forget this because I've met the guy. Uh, that he struggled with. When apartheid fell in South Africa, 
Wayne, <laughs> goofy Wayne, rolled in there with the evangelistic, let's get on with it, exposition of Scripture so we can get this thing settled. And people don't understand that there is uh, Desmond Tutu. We all understand. Uh, some of you know who Desmond Tutu is. He's got a, one of them uh, uh, Nobel Peace Prizes or something like that. Anyway, he's Dutch Reformed. Okay, he's not Catholic. People say, well, he looks Catholic. He's not. He's Dutch Reformed. He's worse than Catholic. Okay, they said the Sabbath is to be honored and you don't eat on the Sabbath. Tell Wayne Barber that. Okay, not only that, he's about 6'10 and he's as big as the moon. And he says, you're going to tell me to what? And he looked at him and says, brother, I'm free in Christ. You're free in Christ. Don't eat. I will. Okay, and I met this guy because this man was tormented in his soul. I mean, Wayne was wearing him out. Why? Because Wayne defended his stance biblically. He was defending his stance liturgically. Why? Somebody said somewhere that you shouldn't eat on the Sabbath. So all of these guys for years and years and centuries did what? They didn't eat on the Sabbath. And here you got this big baboon comes walking in. I'm allowed to call him that. I can run faster than him. Uh, and Well, I can. Uh, and he comes in and says, well, I got this for you. He told me to give thanks and eat. And I'm doing my best at it. Okay? He started a whole revolt in it. We make things dogma. We make things dogma. Let me ask you a question. See here, I'll, I'll go back to our text. But 23, he says, but not all things edify. Do you know what that means to edify? Strengthen. Strengthen something. Make it stronger. Okay? People, uh, uh, we may have an opportunity to go to the lands of Russia and to teach. And I will tell you a heads up. In Russia, smoking is a sin. Period. Because they have a very high mortality rate with cancer and smoking and alcohol and all the rest of it. All right? I can't prove that to you in the Bible. That smoking is a sin. I can show you that smoking doesn't edify. I can use Wayne's line. Smoking won't send you to heaven, but it sure make you smell like you've been there. Or to hell, I mean. <laughs> okay. That's not bad. That ain't as bad as the sermon. I heard the sermon that I preached uh, a few years ago on immorality and immortality. And I kept mixing the two up. <laughs> Let us strive for immorality. <laughs> oh, wait. Better not. <laughs> okay, so. You guys think this is an easy job? You come and do it. (laughs) But I can't prove to you that smoking, and I told uh, the leadership class, if I could ever get my hands on a good Cuban cigar, I'd smoke it, but I'd go hide to do it. Why? Because I'm pretty sure some of you aren't going to be edified if they see me smoking a cigar, especially if I get to Corvette. (laughs) There's our pastor driving around a Corvette with a cigar. (laughs) But remember... He gave thanks, and he's free in Christ. Uh, But you see, these are the things we guard ourselves over. And yet, be careful that we don't make our decisions, our conscious dogma for other people. Uh, Alcohol. Uh, I don't have any problem with alcohol. People have a glass of wine or anything like that. I don't care. As long as you're not mastered by it. As long as it doesn't rule you. People say, well, would you? No. Why? Most of you know my past. Okay, let me just explain something. I'm not a recovering alcoholic. I'm cured. Alcohol has absolutely no mastery over me whatsoever. Okay, 
But I would never drink a glass of wine, even a, one of them uh, no beers, what do they call them? Near, near beer, what is that? That don't have any alcohol in it? Yeah, whatever they are. I wouldn't even be caught drinking one of those. What happens if somebody walks by and sees me? And yet Charles Spurgeon used to take a shot of uh, bourbon after every message. The only thing I can figure, why didn't you do it before? <laughs> I always think, I think Charles, you should have done that one first. Um, but but, but I, if a person wants one, fine, go. Go. All right? Now everybody's going to go out drunk saying the preacher said so. <laughs> but I want to give you one last verse because in case you decide you want to, I want to give you chapter 5 of the book of Galatians, verse 23. This is an amazing text because a lot of us know them, but there's one that I want to pay attention to. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness. We, we know those. We all go out on Monday morning, get in rush hour traffic, try to work on love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Okay, Did, But if you look at verse 23, there's one that comes after gentleness. Okay? What is it? Self-control. Okay, you know what that just yells out very loudly to me? Self-control is not normal for humanity. Because it is a work of the Spirit. The deeds of the flesh are evident, and in the list of the deeds of the flesh, self-control ain't in it. (laughs) Okay, self-discipline. It's self-discipline. So when I am making my choices, am I doing it under the spirit of the living God in self-control? And everybody says, Amen, brother, I do it in self-control. And I'm going to sit here and I'm going to take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Because God showed me something really cool couple weeks ago chapter 9 verse 27 we all read this i discipline i buffet i box my body to make it my slave cool word i love compound greek words hoopo piazza hoopo piazza you know what hoopo is right you guys in the precept class a thunder right you know what piazza is smack in the eye smack it right up under the eye to get myself control. Paul says, my conscience makes me blacken my eyes if necessary to be controlled for the things of God. I like that. Okay? I I want you to pay attention to this verse, though, because it doesn't say, you do my body. Okay? We're good. (laughs) We're good. I think he needs to have his body buffeted. (laughs) Right? It says, I discipline my body. Okay? I make it... Honey, did you read that? All right. All right. (laughs) So that I, after I have preached to others, I myself will not be uh, cast away it's probably the best translation of that. Disqualified or cast away, unacceptable, unapproved, or unworthy is the Greek phrase there. Okay? Paul says, in my conscience, with the power of my, the Holy Spirit living within me, 
I at times may even break and strike under the eye, give myself a black eye to bring my body into submission because self-control is that lacking in the human race. Personal discipline is, was Paul's private matter. And let me tell you something about personal discipline. He, the Apostle Paul, and I will not impose my personal discipline upon any of you. Okay? It's that simple. All right? Because let me explain something to you. I'm going to take you back to where I started. If I am going to be used for every good work by my master, what must happen to me first? You're going to have to be holy. How you get there, that's up to you. It's up to you. Paul submitted himself to all kinds of sacrifices. He submitted himself for the lack of sacrifice of things, of possessions. He never had a wife. Uh, I am a a believer that at one point in time, uh, if I understand the Talmud correctly, to become a Pharisee, you had to be married. Uh, And so I believe that at his conversion, his wife left him, and he chose uh, never to remarry. Some people will say that Paul never was married, never planned on being married. Uh, The Talmud teaches a little different than that. Uh, I know a text in our scriptures in in the book of Timothy, uh, 1 Timothy, it says an elder must be the husband of one wife. Uh, Some people will actually mandate that an elder cannot be an elder unless he's married. Uh, And all I can say is uh, I disagree adamantly with you. Uh, The true phrase is a one-woman man. I know men who are married who are not one-woman men, uh, and I wouldn't make them an elder. Okay, Uh, so But it's stuff like that. You don't impose it, all right? Paul was determined not to do anything that would in any way render his life less productive in the service of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? So the question that I leave you with, what choices have you made that are rendering you right now ineffective in your service to the Lord Jesus Christ? that's it. I have freedom of choice. I can choose. It's all lawful. Does it edify? And does the prophet go to the king? Because all things are lawful. And you can choose. But remember Matthew 20. (laughs) The consequences are yours. And you can plan the consequences. God chuckles. He chooses the consequences. And the only way that you know you can be absolutely right is to be holy, sanctified. And when you're holy, you are a vessel of good work for the master. Until then, you sit right there. Right there. Let's pray. Father, I give you the praise for your word. The things that you give us, Father, the freedom that we have in you, the freedom no longer to be slaves to this world, Father, the freedom uh, to be children of the King, the freedom to be uh, walk in your manner, Father, the freedom that we can actually impact the eternal destination of people, tools to open eyes that are lost, 
Tools to close eyes that are already dark. Tools to strengthen the weak. Tools to encourage the faint-hearted. Tools to admonish the unruly. Tools to be patient with all. Tools to pray without ceasing. Tools to just rejoice in prophecy. Tools in the hands of an awesome God. Father, I I beg you, all of these that are here this day, that they become overwhelmingly in love with Jesus and that he becomes an obsession to their lives. Thank you, Father, for what you have done. Thank you for what you will do. In Christ's name, amen.